Are you guys excited to be here today? Are you thankful for that time of worship this morning? Um, I'm thankful that I have the opportunity of sharing with you guys today. I believe God has something that he wants to speak to us. Um, and I'm thankful that we have such amazing leaders here at StorySide and Pastor Micah and Pastor Angel Pelkey. I'm so thankful for the role that they have played in my life and the leadership that they have over all of us, the impact that they um, are having throughout our area. StorySide, aren't you thankful for the leaders that we have here? I'm excited for this message. Uh, as Pastor Micah referenced, we're believing that God is going to continue to do amazing things in our region uh, throughout this year. I don't know exactly what that looks like yet because I don't have 2020 vision. Um, I'm sorry. That was bad. That was, that was, but this side got it. This side's still, still not sure what else. Last week, we talked about the pain that we can carry through life. We talked about how it is important to cut off some of the baggage that we have carried, some of the pain and hurts from the past. We discussed how it's important as we go into a new year, a new season in our lives, it's important that we don't continue to carry the same weight and burdens from our past into a new year. We discussed the importance of forgiving and letting things go. This week, I want to talk to you about the pain that we can either intentionally or unintentionally cause others. When we do this, our life can get dirty, messy, and unclean. John 8 says that Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early in the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd, a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again, and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. As we look at this text and this woman who is caught in the act of adultery, as we ask ourselves today, what is it that God wants to show me through this scripture? What is it that God is wanting me to take away, to apply to my life? Not just something that is a good thought, but what is something that God wants to teach me that I can use every day of my life? As we ask those questions and look at this scripture, I think it's important to first notice that when it comes to this woman, she had sinned. There's no argument about it. There's no discussion that really takes place of whether she was sinful or not. It's already been concluded she had sinned. 
But in reality, like this woman, everyone there had already sinned. The only perfect one standing there was Jesus. And just like this woman, we have all sinned. We have all messed up. We have all fallen short. We've all made mistakes in our lives. If we were to be honest today, there have been things we've done that we're not proud of, things we wish we could take back, things that if we had a second shot, we would do them differently because we are all imperfect and we've made mistakes. Come on, maybe some of you want to be honest today. Maybe you even want to raise a hand and say, you know what, Chance, I know I'm sitting next to someone who's really messed up today. I tricked you. One guy over here has like got his hand up, and then I say that he puts it down real quick. But we've all messed up. None of us have lived perfectly. Romans 3.23 says it like this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's pretty clear that we've all messed up. In fact, this scripture that states at Romans 3.23 really oftentimes just confirms what we already know. We already know that we've sinned and we've fallen short. In this scripture, Jesus turns the attention back to this the hearts of the Pharisees, and they quickly come to the conclusion that they had also sinned. They didn't have to think about it much because we often know that we are already imperfect. You see, I, I, I compare it like this sometimes. I, I used to play basketball, and I remember the, the first time I ever uh, shot a, a free throw when I was playing uh, varsity basketball. I got, the, I got the ball, and I began going through my free throw routine, and as I dribbled the ball, it, it hit the front of my toe. I almost lost it in my nervousness, and I grabbed the ball real quick and quickly looked, to, looked around at the, the people that were standing beside me, and they were laughing at me. They were judging me. <laughs> but then I grabbed the ball, and then, and, and then I go to shoot it, and I made the free throw. And no matter what my dad may have said the rest of my career, for one moment, I was a perfect free throw shooter. And I, can, uh, I, I go on, I think I made the next one. And, but eventually, through my playing, I stepped to the free throw line at one point. And even though I had started perfect, I shot the free throw and I missed. And as soon as I missed that free throw, I went from a perfect free throw shooter to an imperfect free throw shooter. I went from 100% to below 100. And in the same ways in our lives, we could live our entire life perfectly, but we can make one mistake, and when we do it, we become imperfect. Sometimes we like to, to think that we've lived well and we've lived a good life, but if we're really honest, we are all imperfect people, just like this woman we see in this text. Notice that she's caught in sin, and they bring her sin out. They start showing it to people, and that even though she had sinned, the reaction then of the Pharisees is that they wanted to stone. They wanted to pick up stones and kill this woman who is hurting, lost, who is likely at the lowest point in her life. And they were ready to take up stones to kill her. 
Now, this is based off uh, Old Testament scriptures, Deuteronomy 13, different, different uh, areas of the Bible in which they are, why they're doing this. But in this moment, it seems that they have missed that there is a woman who is hurting, who's at her lowest, who could be feeling like there is no hope for her future, and they are ready to stone her. This first rock that I believe that they could have picked up is what I call the stone of religion. The Scripture says in verse 5 that the Pharisees said, the law of Moses says to kill her. And they instantly go back and quote the Old Testament Scripture, and they said that the, the law says to kill her. Think of all the times that the stone of religion has been thrown throughout history. Think of all the times when a church member, a church, people acting on part of God have thrown stones of religion. Maybe you even know instances in your own life. You can think of friends, family members, people who have gone through hurt and pain in their lives just like this woman because someone picked up a stone of religion. There are studies that say that 87% of people outside the church think that those of us in the church are judgmental. In fact, one-third of young outsiders say that Christianity represents a negative image in which they will never be associated. Because of how many times that people have picked up the stone of religion. When this woman needed help, When she likely just needed guidance and someone to believe in her, they took up the stone of religion. Maybe for others, you've picked up the stone of judgment. The stone of judgment. It says that this woman was caught in the act. She had been caught. And when she gets caught, they pass judgment on her. But notice that they aren't okay with just bringing it out and putting her secret sin on the public stage, notice that they aren't just willing to let everyone know what she did. But they're also going to demand consequences. Because oftentimes when we pick up the stone of judgment, we will demand that there be consequences with it. We will demand that, like the Pharisees, that this woman should be killed. Maybe for us, we're not demanding that people be killed, but oftentimes we'll pick up the stone of judgment and say they should be fired from that job. They shouldn't be allowed to teach there anymore. We'll take up the stone of judgment and say, I can't even believe that they are still allowed to raise those kids. Because when we pick up the stone of judgment we, like the Pharisees, will often demand that there be consequences. This woman was caught. They demand consequences, and they begin to pass judgment on her. Earl Nightingale said that when you judge others, you do not define them. You define yourself. When we pick up the stone of judgment against others, we are not defining the person that we are looking to stone, but in all reality, we're just just defining ourselves. 
You know, there was a, a story I heard one time of a, a lady named Betsy, and she was a, a member of a church, and she had almost like taken on the responsibility as if she felt she was the one who had to do it of spreading just rumors and gossip about everyone she seemed to come in contact with. And Betsy goes around, and she's, uh, she, she continues to just talk about people. And at, at one point, a new member of the church comes along, uh, George, and he was just really trying to get his life together. He'd been coming for a couple months. Uh, he's just really on the front end of what God was trying to do in his life, and he was still struggling with things. But one night, Betsy's driving, and she sees that George's truck, his blue pickup, is parked outside of the bar. After seeing this, Betsy, of course, starts spreading rumors, gossiping, letting people know she saw George's truck parked outside the bar. She even goes as far as to confront George about it. And she tells him, George, you shouldn't have your truck parked out there. You shouldn't be going there. People will know. People will draw conclusions. When they see your truck out there, they are going to assume and draw conclusions about what you are doing inside. George doesn't say much about it. He just kind of nods and walks away. And later that night, George takes his pickup truck. He doesn't park it at the bar. He drives right down to Betsy's house, parks it outside, and just leaves it there for the night. But if we're honest, we have all probably come in an encounter with a few Betsy's. We've all probably met a few people before who are judgmental, who have picked up the stone of judgment. Maybe we have been the ones at times who've picked up the stone of judgment. We often judge others based off their actions, but judge ourselves based off our intentions. We judge others by their actions, but ourselves by our intentions. We will judge others by the things they've done, but ourselves by the intentions we had. You know, sometimes we can look at our own lives and we'll be like, well, you know, I, I, I really had a good heart behind it. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to hurt anyone. I wasn't trying to do wrong. I just, I just didn't really know better. But then when we look at others, we'll say things like, they should have known better. They should have never done that. And we will judge them based off of their actions, yet give ourselves grace to judge ourselves by our intentions. Maybe for others, you have picked up a, the stone with an agenda. The stone with an agenda. You see, this stone has ulterior motives. Verse 6 says that the Pharisees were trying to trap him so they get him to say something they could use against him. Because if Jesus were to say that they should kill the woman, he would be breaking the Roman law against capital punishment. But then if he says they shouldn't kill her, then he would be breaking the law of Moses. So the, the Pharisees think they are going to trap him in this predicament in the middle. And if you're observing this, if you're watching the situation, if you're one of the members of the crowd that day, you could begin to think just by watching that the Pharisees are really upset with the woman. That the Pharisees are really frustrated with what she's done. They are really 
upset. But in all reality, the scripture tells us it wasn't so much that they were upset with her, but rather they were just trying to trap Jesus. Oftentimes, we can have ulterior motives behind the stones that we pick up. Sometimes it'll look one way, but in all reality, there are different intentions behind it. Like sometimes we can, we can talk bad about other people's businesses, and it's not so much that we don't like their business, it's that we just want ours to do better than theirs. We'll talk about other people's marriages, we'll pick up the stone with an agenda, and it's not so much that we always have a problem with what we're actually saying we have a problem with, but rather there are ulterior motives behind this rock. And we will pick up the stone with an agenda. They drag this woman out into the center of the court, put her on full display, and they were so focused on trapping Jesus that they were willing to use a woman caught in sin as leverage. They were so focused on trying to get something that they could just use against Jesus that they were willing to use this woman as just another pawn on their board. I think it's important to ask ourselves, what are the motives behind the stones I've picked up? What are the motives behind the stones that I've picked up against others, the hurtful things I've said towards others, done towards others? Maybe it's even just hurtful things we have thought towards others, but I think sometimes we have all picked up stones and we must ask ourselves, what are the motives behind them? But not just that. We must also ask ourselves, who am I willing to stone to see my agenda come to pass? The Pharisees were willing to stone this woman just for a possibility of having an opportunity to trap Jesus. Who are we willing to stone to see our agenda come to pass? Because oftentimes we'll stone other coworkers other friends, other people we see every day just so we have maybe a slight edge, maybe just a possibility of getting ahead of them. This is the stone with an agenda. Maybe for others you have picked up a stone of comparison. This stone tends to say their sin is worse than mine. You see, when Jesus turns the attention back on the Pharisees, they knew right away that they had sinned. They didn't even have to think about it. But it must be that they thought the sin of this woman was worse than their own. This passage actually confirms that there's individualistic sin, that every individual there had sinned. And it also insinuates and suggests that the heart of humanity will seek to rank and categorize which sins deserve punishment or destruction. We will often rank their sin is worse than mine. Or like, it's okay if you do this right here, but if you do this sin, then, then it's a problem. It's all right if I gossip a little bit as long as I don't hate people. 
or it's, it's okay if, if I drink a little bit too much because I don't do drugs. And we will begin to find ways to justify our own sin. We will begin to search for ways that we can say someone else's sin is worse than our own. When we pick up the stone of comparison. Sometimes we get so caught up in pointing out the sin in others that we don't worry about the sin in us. Why do we desire to stone the sin in others yet settle for the sin in ourselves? You see, I think a lot of times of back like when we were in elementary school and some, whether someone would get in trouble, they would do something, they, they would fall down, we would a lot of times point at them and laugh and, ha ha, you got in trouble, you, you messed up, man. And a teacher or someone would point out to us, be careful when you point because you've got three fingers pointing right back at you. And we just thought that was so unbelievably wise. And we're like, that is incredible. But a lot of times we get so focused on pointing things out in others and we don't realize that maybe there's three fingers pointing right back at us. Maybe the issue isn't always with others. Maybe it could be in our own hearts. Luke 6, Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your own eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. That's what Jesus said about it. What is it that I need to take out of my own life before I start pointing at the lives of others? What is it that could be distorting my view, my perception, that I need to take out of my life? Are there things in 2020 that God could be challenging us right now to take out of our lives? There's a story one time of a, a young, successful couple who they had saved up for a while. They had made some, some good business decisions, and they were eventually able to buy their dream house, the house they had always dreamed of. They get it, and they're so happy, and the first morning they're there, they're sitting at the, the, the table, and they're eating an amazing breakfast in their dream house, and the wife looks out and sees that their neighbor has dirty laundry hanging out on the clothesline. She begins to get slightly frustrated by it. Why is it that they have their dirty laundry hanging outside? Seriously, we save up and we buy our dream house and we have to deal with looking at someone else's dirty laundry. Someone should teach her the right way to do laundry. Someone seriously needs to help her, teach her and guide her on how to do her laundry. A couple of days later, they're sitting at the table again and this time, they've, they've got their laundry outside, and she looks at it for a second and gets so excited, she even hits her husband. Look, honey, they, they must have, someone must have showed her. She's got clean laundry out there today, perfectly spotless clean. Someone must have helped her. Someone must have given her some advice. The husband says, actually, honey, I don't think anyone helped her. Actually, I got up early this morning, and I washed the window. How 
How often, like this woman, are we pointing at someone else's dirty laundry and we have something that needs cleaned in our own lives? How often are we pointing out the speck in someone else's eye when we have a log in our own? If we were to assess the times when we are like these Pharisees picking up stones, condemning other people, how often is it that really we need to assess our own lives? That we could be so focused on pointing out their dirty laundry, but God is wanting to clean a window in our house. Notice that the Pharisees had this mentality. They were ready to stone her. She had sinned. That's clear. They get ready to stone. But notice the the reaction of Jesus. That when the Pharisees were ready to stone, when the Pharisees were ready to kill her, this woman who was lost, this woman who is hurting, at the lowest point of her life, Jesus doesn't come over and pick up a stone. But the scripture says that Jesus stooped down. Jesus stooped so that he could be with her at her own level. He came down to lift her up and tell her that there's more hope. He stooped down. Story said, I'm thankful that we can be part of a church that believes in following the example of Jesus. We believe in the power of stooping down. We believe that if we got to have people out in the parking lot, people opening doors, smiles on their face, whatever we have to do to stoop down. So that when someone comes in here hurting, when someone comes up in here and they just need to hear that God has better for them, that there are better days ahead, that their life isn't without meaning, that God has plans for them, there is hope, there is more life to be lived, they're not going to be met at the door with someone with a stone. I'm thankful we can be part of a church that believes in stooping, finding people at their lowest. Like the woman caught in the act of adultery. People who maybe have written themselves off. I'm thankful we, believe, we are part of a church that believes in stooping for them. And I'm thankful that we can know without a doubt that it wasn't just for this woman but that Jesus also stoops for us. When we're hurting, when we're broken, when maybe we've convinced ourselves that there's no reason for us to be here, Jesus stoops for us. In all reality, Jesus' entire life was an act of stooping. He came down from heaven to die on a cross for our sins. We didn't deserve the opportunity to have a new life like we've all come to the conclusion of today. We are all imperfect people. But the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, that he stooped down. We sang a song today that says, in the darkness we were waiting without hope and without light until from heaven you came running and there was mercy in your eyes. From a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Jesus stooped down. Jesus stooped down so that he could tell every one of us, you've got a purpose.
there's more happiness and joy in your life. You don't have to live the rest of your life like you've lived your life up to this point. Jesus stooped down. I'm thankful that Jesus stoops down. I'm thankful that when I personally was at my lowest, when I was depressed, when I was hurting, and when I was broken, Jesus stooped down for me. John 3.17 says that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. He didn't send Jesus to show up and pick up a stone and condemn us. He didn't send the only perfect one who ever lived to step into our lives and say, you're worthless, you're no good, you should have never messed up, you knew better, you disobeyed. But instead, he sent his son to stoop down, to tell us there's more hope, to tell us that there are better days ahead. He did it for me. Story side, are you thankful that Jesus stoops for you? I'm thankful that Jesus didn't come to contempt, condemn, but he came to stoop. Notice that the Pharisees then slipped away. It says they slipped away one by one. That they weren't like super like energetic and just running away, but they realized the own sin in their hearts. And they just kind of slip away. They didn't cause a big scene about it. They come so ready to stone this woman, causing a huge scene. Yet when Jesus turns the attention back to them, they realize, I've sinned too. And they just kind of slip away. It also states that It started with the oldest and then went down to the youngest. It shows that someone left first. They didn't leave all at the same time. Story side, are we the people who slip away first? When the gossip starts, when people start passing judgment, when people condemn, are we the first ones to say, hey, I don't think we should be talking about them like that? I think that's a bit unfair. If we were to be honest, I have sin in my life too. Are we the first ones to slip away? And notice that as they slipped away, when they came so ready to stone this woman, that as they slipped away, they would have had to drop the stone. They would have had to drop the stone of religion that they were ready to throw at this woman. They would have had to drop the condemnation against her. They had to drop the stone. There's a story of a lady named Corey Ten Boom who was an amazing Dutch Christian, and her family helped to hide Christians and Jews during World War II in Europe. Their family had a business of making watches, and they used their business as a safe haven, as a harbor for runaway Jews and Christians for four-plus years. Eventually, their family was caught and taken to concentration camps. 
Her father went to a concentration camp, and then her sister and her went to another one. Her father ended up dying there, and her sister Betsy also died in the concentration camp they went to. The name of it was Ravensbrook. There is an estimated 50,000 to 92,000 women who died at Ravensbrook concentration camp. Betsy's last words were, we must tell people that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. There's no pit, there's no darkness that his love isn't deeper. There's nothing we've gone through that he can't find us there. Corey goes on to spread this message of forgiveness following the war. She travels all over the place and one time in 1947, as she's sharing this message of forgiveness at a church in Munich, she finishes and then a man begins to walk towards her. She recognizes him as one of the guards from Ravensbrück concentration camp. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat with a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People are leaving, people are moving out as she had just spoken. He didn't recognize her, but she recognized him. She could remember his cruelty. She says that one moment, I saw an overcoat and a brown hat, the next moment a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the skin. The man comes up to Corey and he says, thank you for your wonderful message about forgiveness. I have become a Christian and I know that God has forgiven me. I want to know that you forgive me. And it says that he stuck out his hand and said, shake my hand as a sign that you've forgiven me. Corey says that she just froze. All of the memories of her sister dying, the cruelty came back in her head. She writes that she just stood there. She said, I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood here, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. Corey writes, and so mechanically I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. 
And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joint hands, and this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I have never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Could I submit to you today that when Corey shook that man's hand, she didn't just shake his hand. But she also dropped the rock. She could have come against this man with condemnation. How dare you come and ask my forgiveness? You're responsible for the death of my sister, the death of 50 to 92,000 women, the things you did, the cruelty that took place there, and you come and ask my forgiveness. But she didn't, she didn't do that. But she says that as she mechanically lifted her hand, I believe she dropped the rock. She dropped the stone that she could have thrown against him. She dropped the condemnation, the judgment she could have passed. She could have been like some of us sometimes and said, his sin was worse than mine. But in that moment, she writes that forgiveness is not an emotion. It's an act of the will. And in that moment, Corey dropped the stone. How different would our lives look if, like Corey, we dropped the stone? What could God do in our hearts in our marriages, our schools, our workplaces. If we said, God, I'm going to drop the stone. What would take place? Corey writes that she had never known God's love so intensely as she did then. What love, what joy, what happiness could you experience if today you dropped the stone? If today you said, you know what, I've been holding on to this, I've been throwing stones at other people, but today I'm going to drop it. Maybe it's not just the, the stones we talked about today. Maybe there's stones of bitterness, unforgiveness, hatred. Maybe last week you even said, when we were talking about the pain that we carry through life, you said, God, I don't want to carry this in my life anymore. Pastor Micah referenced how that is just a start, and it's not the entire solution. Maybe today, today you need to make the decision again to drop the rock, drop the stone, drop the bitterness, the offense, the hatred. What stone do you need to drop today? You know, as I've been handling these rocks throughout the service, you can see it a little bit on the microphone. You can see it somewhat on my hands. As I've been dealing with these stones, my hands have been getting dirtier and dirtier. Maybe for some of us today, we don't need to just drop the stone, but we then need to ask God, clean my hands. Purify my heart. God, I don't want to start 2020 unclean. I want to start it clean and living the right way. Maybe for some of us, we need to realize that Jesus 
can stoop down to us today. Maybe for others, we need to be the one who stoops more often. What is it that God is wanting to speak to us today? Can I pray with you? With eyes closed all across this room. Some of us have experienced hurt through our life. Pain. Maybe just like Corey, you can you can almost visualize the moment. But what if you dropped the stone today? What if you dropped the stone and God's love rushed in? Maybe for some of you, you know that you've been the one who has picked up a stone of religion or judgment. Maybe for others, you've picked up the stone of comparison or the stone with a certain agenda. But today, you could drop it. Today, you could say, I'm not carrying this anymore. I've carried it for long enough. If that's you today and you feel like there are certain stones in your life that you need to drop, could you just raise your hand right where you're at? No one looking around. Hands going up. Maybe you just say, God, I've... I, I don't even know how to begin to drop the stone. I, will, I, I feel like I want to hold on to it. I don't want to let go of the hurt, the pain, the hardness that has been in your life. God, I pray for every hand that has gone up, every person who is just saying between you and them, God, I need help to drop the stone today. God, I want to be honest. God, I want to be truthful. Help me to drop the stone. Help me, God, and clean my hands. Help me to let go of the hurt and the pain that has taken place over my life. God, I don't want to be like the Pharisees. I want to live for you. I pray for every hand that has gone up, every life that is represented here today. I pray that you would continue to empower them and strengthen them in their lives. I pray that they would realize that dropping the stone sometimes is a continuous process. Sometimes you have to drop it and then drop it again. But God, we're thankful that you are with us through the entire process. God, we thank you for your presence here today. Maybe for others in the room today, you feel like the woman caught in the act. Maybe you feel like you've been condemned. You've been spoken against. Maybe you feel like you are at your lowest. Maybe you don't even see a light at the end of the tunnel. You feel like there's no way out. There's no hope. Can I encourage you today that Jesus can stoop right to where you're at? Right to that seat, right to that row. He can find you there. If today you say, you know what, I need Jesus to help me. I don't want to live broken anymore. I don't want to live with the shame of my past and the imperfections, the mistake that I've made, the sin that I've had. If today you want to say, God, forgive me of my sin, just raise your hand right where you're at with eyes closed 
all over this room. Thank you. As hands are going up, God, people reaching out to you, people who are making the decision between you and them in their seat. God, forgive me today. I pray that you would forgive every one of them, empower them with your spirit. Show them that there are better days ahead, that there is more life to be lived, that you have happiness and joy for their lives, peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray that you would lead every life in here today to drop the stone and to experience your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Storyside, can we stand all across this room? Let's make this our prayer in closing today. He's bigger than we thought.